This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And I'm Seth Haynes. All right, Seth, what are you drinking for lunchtime? Well, today I, it is lunchtime. And so typically I would start to wane from caffeine, but I am so tired lately. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe a little bit too much information, but I had a um, muscle twitch all oh. night last night. It kept yeah. me up to like three in the morning. Oh, man. Um, and so I'm drinking coffee, but it Catching is surely up. for the caffeine. It is not good coffee. It's just office swill. Yeah, office coffee. Got it's, it. It's the worst. What, yeah. I don't know what to do about it, though. So anyway, what are you drinking? I'm drinking my apple cider vinegar weird uh, hippie cocktail. So as a reminder, it's like two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, a pinch of Himalayan salt, a squeeze of lime, and sparkling water. And it's weird, but I, I've grown to really love it, and I drink it about once a day now. Um I'm doing, I keep alluding to this and I'm sure we'll eventually talk about it, but I'm doing this weird intermittent fasting kind of eating routine. And I do this on the days that I don't eat much um, because it's good for electrolytes. So yeah, it makes me feel really good. I think we should find a co-packer for this and uh, (laughs) and, and bottle it and just see if we can sense. We'll sell it as the Tish mocktail. I don't know. Uh What can we call it? The oxen tail. Oxen mocktail. Yeah. The the thing is- Um, I've had a bottled version of it. Like the brand Braggs sells some version of this and it's not as good. I like mine better. So I might be onto something here. I mean, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) And then they can sponsor the show. That's right. Then we can self sponsor. I like it. It's all circular. (laughs) Okay. Well, so today's topic that we want to unpack is this idea of rituals. And I mean, it slightly different than routines. Um, with the end of spring in mind, for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, we've got a lot of graduations. We've got the end of the school year in general and the start of summer. Um, weddings tend to happen a lot in early summer. So we've got a lot of these rituals. And they've been on my mind because we're doing more rituals, my family personally, that we missed out on a year ago because of COVID. And so I'm just thinking about them and I don't know, contemplating why they matter, why we as humans do them. So before I kind of share my thoughts, I want to know your thoughts. Do you have any rituals this time of year that you like either love or begrudgingly attend? I mean, not really. I I mean, we always, I mean, we we have kids that are ages from nine to 16. And so somebody's always graduating from something, which I always think is funny when you have like a kindergarten graduation. Oh, I know. Or like a junior high graduation. Um, But because of the spread, somebody is always graduating from something. And so there is that (laughs) sort of turning over the leaf. My kids go to a school where um, at the end of every year, they have sort of an awards ceremony. But at that awards ceremony, they also give them their, quote, tribal names. And it's more more than anything, it's just kind of a blessing, like a way of saying, like, here's what we saw in you this year. And so here's what your name is. Hmm. And for instance, this year, they already had the ceremony for the seniors. And I went and the tribal names were organized around Bob Marley songs. So it's not, it, it's kind of a fun, you know, yeah. it can be anything. It can be, you know, you know, animals, European continents. I mean, wh- whatever, it, it can be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always really 
fun and it's sort of like a ritualistic send off from one grade to another. Like here are the things that you achieved and here are the things that mark this year for you. And now since this year is over and it's been marked by your name, now go forward into your new name. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, it's something that my kids do more than I do, but I always look forward to it every year. Yeah. Yeah. Rituals are kind of weird, but I find it more fascinating how important they are in the span of human history. Like we have been ritualistic since, you know, written history. Um, I was digging a little into what they are exactly, um, kind of to prep for our chat here. You know, what is the difference between rituals and routines? Because routines are like, I go to the grocery store on Mondays. But clearly something like graduating from high school is more important. Well, not so much the graduating, but the ceremony itself. Clearly that's more stand apart than me going to the same grocery store at this roughly the same time a week every year. So I was kind of trying to unpack what is the difference then and why do they matter? And the thing I've, I've kind of come down to is this idea that routines are things we do to use our time well. So in a way they're more, I mean, they might have some sort of, uh, you know, inner benefit of like keeping our stress low. But for the most time, they are for practical reasons. They use our time well. Versus rituals are things we do rhythmically to tie our actions to our beliefs. And so what we do outwardly or what we do in action, the way we participate in a thing is directly because of something we believe to be true. And so I think this is a really interesting thought, uh, you know, about our lives in general, but I think we could even get more specific about our, um, I don't know what you want to call it, like our spiritual lives with you and I having been raised in a non-liturgical or non, um, yeah, liturgical environment to being where we are now and that those things matter. So that to me is what's really interesting about rituals. Like our bodies clearly matter and we believe them even if we kind of roll our eyes at things like kindergarten graduation, because I do too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's been really powerful for me over the last year is just being constantly engaged in rituals, even when I don't feel it, you know, even when Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling like uh, standing, sitting, kneeling, going through that whole full body gyration every Sunday of rituals. um, Somehow that is super grounding to me, you know, Mm -hmm. especially you get in this like sort of frenetic pace, this world that's just insanely fast. And in that insane fastness, you know, every week I have a ritual that stops me at least for an hour, um, mm-hmm. depending. I mean, depending on who's preaching, because sometimes it's only like 45 minutes if, <laughs> if it's a quick sermon, a quick homily. Right. But otherwise, um, normally for an hour, you know, I'm, I'm stopped, I'm slow, and I'm pulled into sort of this ritualized context. And it does something for me. It does ground me. And, and, and I do, yeah, maybe it's putting my body in the way of belief. Maybe that's it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just stopping the crazy and stopping me. That's so important. I don't, I haven't really thought that through. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the, the additional point that matters is the idea of rhythmically, meaning we are ridiculous humans who need this more than once a year or just every now and then when we feel like it, we need it every week or we need it really regularly because we are prone to forgetting what matters to us. We're prone to leaving whatever ritual we're talking about and moving on to something else. And then it just kind of gets shoved off to the side. 
And so this need for rhythm in our lives, I think, really speaks to the heart of what we're getting at. And and thinking about last year, 2020, how COVID and quarantine put so much of that on hold that, you know, yeah. we, we've already talked about the good side of it, like the, you know, not having to be everywhere, but we missed out on things like going to church regularly in yep. person uh, you know, kids didn't get to go to prom or whatever it is. And, right. and we saw the loss of that, like globally, I thought that was really interesting. And kindergarten graduations. Did anyone go to a kindergarten graduation? <laughs> Highly doubtful. In fact, we had our senior high graduation last year it was all virtual. And I remember watching it and they actually, I, they filmed part of it from a drone or something, or maybe it was live stream part of it from a drone. Like, so after the closed ceremony, they all went out to this parking lot at the mall here in Fayetteville and they got on these flatbed trucks. So they were all like this, these students were elevated on these on separate flatbed trucks. And then you could drive by in your car as a family unit and like yell at the window, like, congratulations. And if you couldn't go, then they had this like little drone that flew over the parking lot and took footage and sort of streamed it back, which was kind of fascinating and interesting. But yeah, like the whole context, the whole con- the whole context of graduation changed, the whole ritual changed, the whole like the things that you do just because that's what you do mm-hmm. um, changed. And we had to all stop and think like, what does this even mean? I remember too, speaking of the pandemic, Last year, we were supposed to enter the Catholic Church on Easter at the Easter Vigil. And I remember just watching that and thinking, like, this was supposed to be my ritual. Like, this was supposed to be the way that my family entered into this beautiful, like, extended ritual. Uh, And when we finally did make our way into the church, it was through a very quiet service. I think maybe 100 people were there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just a very different almost anticlimactic sort of uh, entrance that felt like a real relief. But by the same token, there was something about that ritualized experience that sort of, you know, we, we all kind of stopped and thought, oh, man, we, we feel like we missed something because we didn't have the ritual. And so maybe that's a, another way to look at it is to say, what are the rituals that we um, attend because they're, they're, you know, spiritual in nature they're physical in nature. So like working out would be a, a physical ritual for me. Um, and maybe communal rituals too, like when we're talking about the kindergarten graduation. I think we need to title this episode, The Ritual of the Kindergarten Graduation. Because <laughs> it keeps coming up. It keeps you coming do. up. But, <laughs> but again, like why do you attend the the, the uh, wedding? You know, why do you attend the kindergarten, uh, you know, graduation? Why do you attend these sort of, you know, nonprofit dinners or whatever <laughs> in the pre-COVID age, you know, there was a communal piece. You believe the community is important and is a big, you know, a big thing. And so if you believe that, then you embody it by then going into these sort of, of, of rituals. Yeah. Yeah. I actually love that you said that because I actually jotted down before we talked the three things, the three reasons we have rituals. And the first one was they form a common identity. So I think that speaks to your kids' school and their tribal names. You know, it it helps you sense a belonging to a group that shares that ritual. Um, An example in my kids' life, and I guess in mine as a teacher, is we end our school year with something called a cardboard boat regatta. So the last two weeks of school, kids are put into teams and they have to build a boat using nothing but cardboard and duct tape. 
And oh boy. Oh boy. We, it's very fun. And they, we have heats and a tournament and a last boat standing kind of the whole bit. And it's very funny to watch because some kids, you know, you're watching as an adult, the engineering process and you know, like that is not going to last long, <laughs> but it's, yep. it's a really cool experience because they get to learn about physics and the whole thing, but we didn't get to do that last year. I will be honest as a parent, my initial response was woohoo, one less thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, one of my kids feels that way, but the other two were genuinely disappointed. And I thought, wow, this thing matters to you. That is interesting to me. Yeah. And you know, one of them, it was mostly because this is so much fun. The other one was because like that was how she marked the end of the school year. And so I was going to say the second reason we have rituals is to both create and mark time. You know, we create a sense of time. You know, if you think about it, late May is really kind of an arbitrary time to end a school year. It's antiquated back from the days when most of us were farmers. Um, But we still do that. And we like having some kind of end of the school year cutoff thing to remind us this is what we're doing. And then they mark time by way of like the liturgical calendar and birthdays and, you know holidays. But then the third reason, and this is, I think, what you're getting at with um, perhaps the CrossFit is this idea of like they serve as Ebenezers to us. Yeah. Like they serve as reminders of what we care about. And so for me, you know, I'm thinking of my walking. I'm on day 32 now of of walking five to six miles a day. Yeah. And I have I do it in the morning because or at least I, I get half of it done in the morning because I, I want to start off my day that way. And on that walk, I remind myself, this is what matters to me. I care about this, the being outside, the um, having time to think and be alone and having time to move my body, all those things. I need that reminder, even though like I can spend the rest of my day going about saying like, oh, yeah, that kind of thing matters to me. But I'm reminding myself physically this matters to me when I'm doing it. Yeah. I mean, without the ritualized practice, it's just words, right? Right. Right. We can say whatever we want to say, but if you don't put your body in the way of something in the way of, or in the motion of something, of doing something, then it's just words. And, and, and one of the things that I, I find so um, freeing to me about, for instance, saying the creed every week is that there are some Sundays when I'm just saying it. You know, it's just the uh-huh. it, like, uh-huh. I don't, I'm not feeling it. Um, may, I mean, I, I believe it, but it, it's not there for me. But then there are other weeks when it's deeply impactful and meaningful. And the weeks when it has been the most impactful and meaningful um, are typically the weeks that they, they kind of sneak up on me, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I just go because it's the ritual. It's the thing that I do on Sunday. And then I find myself near tears saying the creed out of nowhere. Um, and again, it would, it, I put my body in the way of doing something that I believe. And as a result, that belief gets a chance to really root into me and to really mm-hmm. do the work that it's meant to do. Uh, and there's something really beautiful about that. I mean, there are times when I don't feel like going to the gym and I go and all of a sudden I find myself really full uh, of energy and really full of life and really invigorated. Um, there are times I don't feel like going to a graduation ceremony or a tribal naming ceremony. <laughs> and every time without fail, I end up crying, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, oh, they're moving on. It's such a sweet <laughs> part of life. And, you know, I think there, there's, uh, 
there's a real gift in putting ourselves uh, in the motion, in the way of rituals. And the gift is that when we do that, sometimes the belief can sort of sneak up on us and surprise us and remind us like how much we actually believe the thing that we're participating in. It's so true. You know, I love that you brought up the Nicene Creed because that was one of my first draws to going to a more liturgical church when we uh, became Anglican, I don't know, five, six years ago, because we were in this season of deconstructing or whatever the term is these days. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't sure what I believed anymore. But I loved that I could say that every week, because it was a reminder to my brain that I'm not sure what I believe about a lot of things, but I at least think I can agree with these things. And there was something also comforting about the common identity that people have been saying this for what 1700 years or whatever it is um and so it made me feel tied to people who are smarter than me you know that like gosh i don't know what i think but i think there is some wisdom in the idea of something really really old still being true i don't know um and and so i think that's a huge appeal to something like the liturgy is tying you back to the past and and helping you feel less alone in what you think and you know this keeps going where I don't mean it to go, but um, we have both said before that one of the appeals to our having become Catholic is this idea of not having to have to think about what it is you believe. I mean, that can sound really weird. We don't mean you don't use your brain, but we mean like we submit to the idea that perhaps there are those that are wiser than us. And I think these rituals help us remember that at least when we're, you know, when it comes to the idea spiritually, but I could see that too, in all sorts of ways, you know, when it comes to health, you know, like I am doing this thing, even if I don't feel like it, because doctors and scientists have given us ample proof that it is good that we get enough sleep or whatever it is, you know, um, submitting to truths, even though we don't feel like it is, is healthy for us. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't do the research and that you don't shut your, you know, that you do shut your brain off. It doesn't mean that you, you know, don't have questions and it doesn't mean that you don't even question things that are within that certain uh, discipline or that certain ritual, you know, right. Um, Again, to to make an analogy, um, there are times when I walk in and they're like, Hey, today we're going to be doing, you know, uh, kipping pull-ups. And I'm like, we are, are we really going to do that? Am I going to be, can I really do that? I don't think, I don't know if I believe in that. Um, in, in the same way, I mean, I, there are still things, you know, that I struggle with within uh-huh. um, my particular faith structure and, and I'm sure you do too. And, and, uh, you know, it, that doesn't mean that I don't wrestle with those things that I don't from time to time disagree with those right. things that I don't from time to time want to push back and maybe even pitch a little bit of a fit. Um, but what it does mean is that the important things that are embodied within the ritual, right? So like the prayers of the people, the passing of the peace, the recitation of the creed, um, the consecration, like these big moments in the, these, you know, smaller rituals within the bigger movement of the ritual, like these are super important to me and they're super true to me. Um, and so you can pick a number of issues uh, mm-hmm. with which I might disagree vehemently today. I may not tomorrow, yeah. but I may today. <laughs> um, and it doesn't mean I shut my brain off and don't think about those things. But what it does mean is that I don't have to rethink or recreate 
an entire uh, church service or mass with meaning because the ritual already gives us that meaning. It already provides it. There was this one uh, moment, uh, and I, not to be barren apologists here um, <laughs> on the show, yeah. uh, but there was this moment that made a whole lot of sense to me early on when I was listening to, uh, to Bishop Barron, and he said, this was years ago, and he said something to the effect of, you may not agree everything with everything that the church teaches uh, down to the letter of the law. Like you, you may question it, you may struggle with it, you may wrestle with it, and that's okay. Um, and that doesn't also mean that maybe this isn't your home. Uh, just mm-hmm. because you wrestle with it and question with it and have problems with somebody doesn't mean that maybe this is where you're supposed to be. Um, but by the same token, like if you believe in ascent to the big rocks, the big pillars, the big, you know, uh, as we're saying on this show rituals, then enter into those rituals and see what happens. And that's exactly what I can say has happened in my life really since I was probably in fourth grade is that every time I entered into the ritual, it was like, Oh, this is important and meaningful and impactful. And it really is who I am. Um, And so all the other like sub issues aside, all the other political issues aside, and there are plenty of them in every church, in every faith. I don't even go broader than church, go faith in general. Yeah. Um, in every sect, in every religion, there are these, you know, particularly now, great big political divides, great big political issues. You're not real if you don't believe this. You're not real if you don't believe that. Well, screw you, screw you, rah, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, still, those issues aside, when I enter into the rituals, and when I really allow them to affect me, something happens. And it doesn't just happen like in this like metaphorical sense. Like it actually happens in my body. Yep. It's wicked important to me. It is. It's wild how how much we need the sacramentality of these things in our lives. You know, that we need our bodies to recognize the truth, beauty, and goodness around us. Um because we're fickle and because we're so finite and because just flat out God made us that way. You know, if he wanted us to be ethereal spirits, he would have, but we are walking around in human suits and, and so they must mean something, you know? Um, And to keep this even more informal, you know, to tie that back to things like end of school years or starts of summers, I personally have never been terribly sentimental. And so sometimes things like the kindergarten graduations, I can roll my eyes out a little bit. Um, I mean, down to just the even like, we always do this, you know, if I have a kid that'll say that whenever we've done something twice and we kind of laugh like we do, oh, this is a thing our family does. Okay. Um, if I can unpack the, okay, what do I really believe? Then it helps me stay a little more grounded and be okay with some of these things that I otherwise would kind of side eye. Um, you know, thinking about like what we do in the summer or, you know, um, and, and I'm not even talking about the rituals that seem like rituals on paper. I'm talking about things like, um, you know, floating the river, how our kids seem to really want to do this every summer, whereas Kyle and I could just take it or leave it, or we don't feel the need to do it every summer. But to them, that's, it's not summer unless we do that. Or um, there was, when they were younger, we gave pajamas the first night of Advent, I think two (laughs) years in a row. And so by the third year, Tate was like, we're getting 
pajamas, right? right? Yeah. And so now it's a thing we do and they're much older and and we just do it to be silly, really. But it matters to them. And this this becomes a shaping of our identity as a family. And so I think these are the things that matter. Um, these really yeah. small rituals, whether they're like, you know, pancakes on Saturday morning or or an evening walk or story time or a thing you say when you tell your kid goodnight or whatever it is, date nights. These are all rituals and they, they really matter a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think to your point, they matter because they remind us who we are. They remind us what we believe and they make us put our bodies in the way of those beliefs. And that's huge. Yeah, it is huge. So let me, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. If, if a listener is listening to this and they say, well, I don't really know how to identify the rituals in my life, or I don't even, you know, know what rituals I want in my life. Or maybe they say, man, from a religious perspective, I don't really have any rituals. And that's like, sort of feels like something's missing. What would you recommend uh, the average listener do? Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought about this because you might actually really want them or you might just wonder if you even have them to begin with. And I think it's important that we all have at least a few things we can hang our hats on, you know, um, like little pegs in our, in our week. And I think here's three things that, that come to mind is finding something that's really doable, first of all. So uh, that has to consider your stage of life, for example, you know, like if you've got little bitty kids, you probably can't go on a date night every week, but maybe you can go on one once a month. And so, but you put that on the calendar and that's like a, we do not move this come hell or high water. Um, we go on a date once a month and then maybe in 10 years you get to go on a date once a week. That sounds really fatalistic. I don't mean it to sound that. I mean, we're now but at the stage where we can leave our kids at home, but it, it you feels know, true though, you know, it, it may be fatalistic, but it feels true. It feels true. Right. Um, and then I think the other thing is to keep them enjoyable. Now that doesn't mean you just write off anything that sounds hard, you know, like CrossFit, like what you said. Um, if if you only did things you thought were fun, whenever they say, okay, we're doing pull-ups, you'd say, no, thanks, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and do something else. But I think when you are, I don't know, just dipping your toe into this idea, think of something that you actually want to do. Yeah. So maybe it's pancakes on Saturday morning, you know, yeah. really simple stuff. And then I think the third thing is that idea of remembering the beliefs and actions thing. So actually think about what are the things you believe to be true and maybe write them out. Like these are the five things that I think are most important to me. And maybe that's where the rule of life comes in, which we've talked about on the show or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you think about, okay, actually I want, I, I care about what it is I believe um, and who God is in my life. And yet my outward actions don't act like it. So, okay, I'm going to write that down as like, I need a ritual in this category. And so perhaps that come that starts with something as simple as praying in a particular chair in a particular way for a week and seeing if that feels right to you. I don't know. I'm just kind of shooting from the hip there. Do you have any additional thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great one. So when I was, um, when I first quit drinking, um, and I actually wrote about this in my first book, Coming Clean, when I quit drinking, I had a chair that I sat in every evening and I began by praying the old Orthodox, uh, you know, prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I would pray mm -hmm. that 
every night. Um, I got this um, Anglican rosary, which is seven beads instead of 10. And <laughs> I think it's, is, I don't remember, it's three decades instead of, I don't remember. It's either like, I can't remember. Anyway, it's it's not even decades. They call it weeks. I think it's four weeks. So four weeks of seven. Anyway, super confusing. Long story short, there are beads involved. And I would uh, pray through these beads um, in the evenings because that was the moment, that was the time when I would typically have a drink. And so I would sit down and I would pray through these beads over and over again and just kind of listen. And um, that was the thing that sort of pulled me out of this this spiral of anxiety in the evenings when I wasn't drinking. And so, yeah, I mean, um, for me my entry into even rote prayers was a very ritualistic attempt to beat back addiction and temptation. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I think one of the things that's important when you're looking is to say like, first of all, what are the rituals that I need? You know, not Mm -hmm. just like, do I want a ritual because I want a ritual What are the rituals that I need and identify those things. And I think for me, what I found is the more that I, I, you know, I moved into these rote prayers for purposes of, you know, connecting um, with God during addiction. What I found is like, I actually needed that rhythmic ritual in every area of my life more than just, you know, in the evenings, like I needed it once a week. I needed it to be a little bit more um, overt Um, at the time I was in this, like, super great still love the people um but you know non-denominational uh happy clappy sort of church um and again great people great music loved it but it was there was no rhythm to it it mm-hmm. didn't provide me any rhythmic foundation for my life and by praying these prayers over and over again i realized oh actually this is super grounding i need this so um hence the journey so, so I think for a lot of us, what we need to do is start with saying, like, what are the rituals I need? If, mm. if I uh, don't, um, you know, if I'm not, not in good shape, my health is an issue, uh, what are the rituals that I could enter into? Maybe it's just mm-hmm. walking three miles a day at the same time every day. Maybe it's going to a class the same day, you know, same time of every day, whatever it is, like, what are the rituals that I can enter into to, to help? you know, sort of fix this need that I have. Um, Mm -hmm. If you feel like you like community, like what are the rituals that you're skipping out on in your community that you need to help you feel more connected with the community? And I think if we approach it that way of like the rituals that we need because our bodies need them, um, then I think a lot of this can become a lot more intentional than just like, oh yeah, I do this ritual because it's what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. the intentionality is, is really the key. It's the it's the spirit of the law more than the letter of the law, so to speak. And if I could like press that button even more, I would argue like if there's something that comes to your mind as you hear Seth and I talk and your gut reaction is a little bit like, oh, I don't want that, then maybe listen to it. <laughs> like yeah. maybe there's there's something to our knee-jerk uh, disdain for an idea, be it the idea of praying a written prayer or walking a mile every day or (laughs) whatever it is like, you know, it doesn't mean to be an Eeyore about everything and look at the worst part and, and see, you know, how, how can I like um, lash myself? But I don't know, listen to your, your inclination to run away from something and maybe do the opposite, you know, run a little bit towards it, lean into it a little bit. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And then I think the final thing I would just add is, 
Um, it's kind of important, I think, that we keep if rituals by definition of what they are are supposed to be kind of special, then I think it's important not to have too many and not to make everything a special ritual, you know? Um, and I know I keep talking about the Saturday pancakes, but that's the one that comes to mind in my family because um, we went through a season when we would have pancakes or waffles or something like that once every weekend. And it was just out of convenience or just because of what we did. And and after a while, Kyle and I just started realizing, like, we don't actually feel the need for this all the time. And a kid would kind of ask, what's for breakfast? And it, we discovered, like, gosh, this is taking up hours of our morning. And we just sort of pushed that aside saying, like, this is just something we're going to do every now and then. This isn't like a weekend thing. And so to consider, you know, just to keep them few and far between so that they stay special and to keep it really open-handed. Like if you're the type of person that's super into these traditions to recognize that maybe your family isn't as much or, you know, doesn't need everything to be very special. (laughs) Um, And by doing so, you're keeping those gems, you know, nice and shiny and standing outy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And that's important to remember, too, because in some families, uh, there are different needs for different rituals. For instance, my kids have the need for a pancake ritual, and I desperately want a waffle ritual. So I just call all breakfast rituals off. Yeah, any kind of heavy battered breakfast in general, though, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting older, but I can only do them every now and then. Well, that's proof that you're probably not headed for sainthood, but whatever. I know. <laughs> okay. Well, with that in mind, um, this is the part when we are talking about something we are reading, watching, or listening to that is adding more beauty to our life. So, Seth, what do you have right now? So, I am still talk- uh, still reading Infinite Country, the oh, Patricia yeah. Engel book that I talked about, which I is only better than it by was the last time we talked about it. It's just okay. it's better. Um. But I've also been just sort of reading bits and pieces of poetry here and there. And a poem has come to mind over and over again by William Stafford. And it's called Assurance. And I actually read it at a memorial service a couple weeks ago. And I want to read it. Please do. Assurance. You will never be alone. You hear so deep a sound when autumn comes. Yellow pools across the hills and thrums, or the silence after lightning before it says its names, and then the clouds' wide-mouthed apologies. You were aimed from birth. You will never be alone. Rain will come, a gutter-filled, an Amazon, long aisles. You never heard so deep a sound, moss on rocks in years. You turn your head. That's what the silence meant. You're not alone. The whole wide world pours down. Hmm. That, like that poem has brought a lot of truth, beauty, and goodness to my life. Uh, I had a friend who um, died of despair a while back, and uh, at his memorial service, that's the poem I read. And I just reminded people, like, you are not alone. You may feel alone, but you are not alone. And that reminder has been really important to me over the last few weeks, really. There's a line in it that stood out to me, something about the aim. What was that? Something about an aim that I liked. You were aimed from birth. Aimed from birth. I like that. You were aimed from birth. We all have a purpose. We're all here for a reason. Mm -hmm. We've been put on a trajectory and aimed from birth. 
Um, and and that that aiming means that someone has aimed us, right? Someone mm-hmm. bigger than us has aimed us. And and that very fact uh, sort of highlights the fact that we are not alone. We didn't set ourselves on this trajectory. Mm-hmm. So Tish, mm-hmm. what are you listening to, reading, watching, or engaging, uh, <laughs> bringing you a little bit more truth, beauty, or goodness? Well, I guess I'm going to put this in the category of I hope it will by tomorrow because my son took the book that I pre-ordered because he's just as excited to read it as I am. So this week, John Green's new nonfiction book, The Anthropocene Reviewed, came out. Okay. We pre-ordered it because I'm a big John Green fan and our kids like him too because we listen to his podcast together. He has a standalone podcast called The Anthropocene Reviewed, which is the uh, the mother of this book that he just wrote. It's his first nonfiction book. And it's basically a collection of essays where he is reviewing different things within our, within the earth. I mean, that sounds so vague, but the Anthropocene is the time period we're in right now. Like, you know, we've got the Pleistocene and we've got the Jurassic era. The Anthropocene is what we're in now. So he is, he uses the one to five star system to review different things on earth. Um, and so it's everything from, um, I don't know, the idea of, uh, British soccer to, um, what was one? Oh, book signatures, because he signed 250,000 copies of this. So he added that <laughs> to, um, the game monopoly, all these things. And he, he's just got such a great perspective, I just like how he uses words and he's funny. And, and I also like kind of, I, maybe this is a form of ritual. I don't know, a shared experience with my kids because we listen to his podcast with his brother, dear Hank and John on the way to school on Tuesday mornings. And so I'm looking forward to sharing this with my son who's loving the book already. Um, and we can talk about it together. So I'm excited about this book and I like his podcast as well. The Anthropocene Reviewed. So there you go. How do you think that he would rate on a scale of one to five a drink with a friend? Um, he would, well, he would overthink it because he's a big overthinker. And then maybe he would give it like three and a half stars. He he has a weird relationship with with faith um, because of his background. And so because he might he, think we get a little too spiritual, but yeah. I don't know. I think he maybe, would like us. Maybe because he's human. Maybe he has a weird background with faith because he's dot, dot, dot yeah. human. He's a normal guy. And uh, he just seems like a great guy. And I he's very nerdy. And I'm I'm a big fan of nerds. I like I like overthinking for the most part. So um, yeah, I think people will if you like this podcast, you would like his and you'd like his book. All right, it's time to wrap this up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. And it is where you can also support the show for just a few bucks. If you like what we're bringing to your earbuds, we're almost 100% listener supported. So you can be one of those. Uh, Again, it's at adrinkwithafriend.com and in the show notes of this episode. You can find me and all my work at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth has lost connection in the last two minutes of this recording, but he says that you can find him at sethhaines.com. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. And Caroline Tissell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish Oxenreiter, and Seth and I will be back here with you soon. <laughs>